Father in heaven, we, we thank you for the, the clarity with which you speak. Lord, we thank you for the direct testimony of the apostles, for the, the truth that is given to us in your word. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would submit us to this authority, that we would bow our hearts and our lives to follow after Jesus. Lord, let, let each one of us, as we listen to your word, be transformed and changed and encouraged by the hope of the gospel that Jesus is the king who gave himself for us. And so, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We visited the mountains of West Virginia on vacation last weekend. While we enjoyed some of the outdoor stuff that the mountains can offer, I, when we're on vacation, usually drag my family along to some historical site. And so we went to visit Monticello, or as the Jardineers would say, Monticello. It's the Italian for Little Mountain, Jefferson's Little Mountain, where he, this founding father, built this, this estate. And it shows us the, this, the, the harshness of America's history, of, of America's story, but, but one of the things that, that we learned as we were preparing, even as we were traveling on our way there, was something you probably know about Jefferson, about Jefferson's Bible. Jefferson wasn't a, a Christian, Yes, he had some sort of faith in God, but, but he wanted a, a Jesus that conformed to his understanding, his scientific mind, his, his own reasoning. And so Jefferson took a Bible and with a razor cut out the parts that he liked. So he went through the whole New Testament and did this, physically cutting and pasting onto a separate page his own version of the Bible. So he took the, the nearly 8,000 verses of the New Testament and whittled it down to just under 1,000. See, Jefferson didn't want anything miraculous because, to his mind, couldn't have happened. Jefferson didn't want anything that, that hinted at the divinity of Jesus because we all know, I mean, educated men like Jefferson would know, that Jesus was just a, a moral sage, a philosopher. And so, so Jefferson titled his little volume, just now an eighth the size of the New Testament, the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, maybe you share Jefferson's view, that skepticism that, that comes when you, when you read the Scriptures, that, that doubt about the miracles, about the divinity of Jesus, about his claims. Or maybe Jefferson's Bible shows you if you're a Christian, one who trusts in God's Word, maybe it shows you some of the, the problems of enlightenment thinking, of, of thinking the way that, that we as educated people in the Western world might be tempted to think. But I can stand in judgment over God's Word. And now maybe you wouldn't be so arrogant to pull out a razor and to begin to cut the pages apart. But have you, in a practical sense, done that? by ignoring the parts that make you uncomfortable, by sliding along with culture as it tells you, no, 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 that just can't be true. Sophisticated people wouldn't believe something like that. But Scripture itself places demands upon us, and Scripture offers hope to each one of us. Scripture stands in a place of authority over us. That's why in a church like ours, the pulpit is here, at the center of the room. Because the Reformation is a recovery that, that we, we are a church that is founded upon the authority of this word. 
That's why preaching and the sacraments have a central place in the worship of the church, because this word orders our lives. This word places demands upon you. And now really, the questions that people have had about authority are questions that go back to the very beginning. We didn't have to wait until Thomas Jefferson's time to begin to think, could it, could it really be true? Did God really say? And that's actually in the opening chapters of the Bible, isn't it? That doubt about the authority of God's word. That's a doubt that lingers within our own hearts. And yet scripture places itself in a, in a position of authority over us. Now, now Peter recognizes this. He recognizes that, that even in the lifetime of the apostles, in the decades right after the, the death of, of Jesus, that there are people already beginning to doubt what had happened, to doubt the claims of Jesus, to doubt the, the writings of the apostles. And so Peter's responding to those very questions. Look, look at verse 16. What does he say? We did not follow cleverly invented stories. Do you know, now, maybe your translation says, we, we didn't follow cleverly invented myths. This is not something we made up. This is the true story. This isn't, this isn't something that we concocted. This isn't a, a conglomeration of, of theological truths. This is what really happened. And, and, and so what, is, what does Peter do then? He, he shows us the, the authority of Scripture. He says, first of all, we were eyewitnesses of what took place. Now, that, that word there in verse 16, eyewitnesses, is, is only used here in the New Testament, but that, that concept is used throughout Scripture. Peter's saying, I stood there and with my own eyes saw the events that took place. I was there. Now, that's a, a theme that, that the other apostles will, will reaffirm for us. We can think of the way the, the apostle Paul, an apostle who didn't meet Jesus before the resurrection, but in 1 Corinthians 15, we remember what it says there, or you can turn with me there to 1 Corinthians 15. The apostle describes what is most important, that, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised according to the Scriptures. He repeats that phrase, according to the Scriptures. And then, then listen to what the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6. He says, after that, Jesus appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Do you hear the apostles' argument? I saw Jesus. I am a witness to what took place. It's, it's what the apostle John says in his gospel. In John chapter 19, we're, we're told that the man who saw all of this take place, who saw the death of Jesus, the apostle who stood there and saw it, has given testimony. His testimony is true. He knows that he tells you the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. Or if we, if we come back to, to our passage, 2 Peter, and we just turn a page to the very next book of the Bible, to 1 John, the apostle John will, will begin his letter his letter, which was meant to be, be read in all the churches, he'll, he'll begin this way. This is 1 John, that little book of John at the back of your Bible. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. 
Do you hear what John is saying? What Paul is saying? What Peter is saying? I saw it. I was there. I stood there. I witnessed it. I touched Jesus. I ate with him. I broke bread with him. I am a witness to these facts. And, and Peter is telling us, he's saying, I stood there on that mountain of transfiguration. I watched the glory of heaven open up, and I heard God speak. Now, now you remember that event from the life of Jesus. It's, it's recorded for us in the Gospels, where Jesus takes the, the inner circle of Peter, James, and John up on the mountainside. And he is transformed, transfigured. There's, there's no way, humanly to describe it, the gospel writers, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a white, whiter than anything that could ever be bleached. That's what Jesus looked like in, in these robes of glory, standing there. And then they, they hear this voice. And Peter tells us about it in our passage in verse 17. Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from, from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then notice verse 18. Peter says, we ourselves heard this voice. I'm an ear witness. I, I, I heard it. I, I'm an eyewitness. I saw it. And so we can trust the testimony because it comes to us from those who were there. And remember, Peter is explicitly saying this is not a, a cleverly invented story. And if it were invented, it's, it's not all that clever. Because from where does Peter write? From a prison in Rome. Peter is days or weeks or months from his own execution for this story. At this point, if it's a cleverly invented story, you, you throw up your hands and say, hey, it was a good run, but just to kind of let you know, we made it all up. So you can, you can kind of unchain me and let me go. We, we won't make up any more stories about Jesus. You know what? I'll show you where the body's buried. But no, Peter's in prison, willing to give his life for this truth because it's the truth he knows, he experienced, he lived it. And Peter says that it's not only a truth that you can take from, from my mouth, but, but look at verse 19. We have the word of the prophets. The scriptures of God announced this to us beforehand. That's, that's what, what, we, what we read in 1 Corinthians 15. That the, the word, the, the, the actions of Jesus were according to the scriptures, prophesied in advance. And, and Peter's saying here in verse 19, we have the word of the prophets now made more certain. In the Old Testament period, they anticipated the fulfillment of these events. Now, it is done. It has happened. The word of the prophets aren't merely telling us what will happen, but we saw it happen. We read the words, and then we lived them. They announced the, the Messiah must come and must suffer and must die according to the Scriptures, and that he would be raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and we saw it. The word of the prophets is made more certain. It's now revealed to us in history, in the ministry of Jesus. And, and look at the examples then that, that he gives us, or, or the analogy that Peter gives us as verse 19 continues. He gives us a command, you will do well to pay attention to it. He's reminding his, his readers, listen to this word, pay attention to it, submit your lives to it, as to a light shining in a dark place. See, this word reveals to you what you would otherwise never be able to figure out. 
You would only be stumbling through the darkness, guessing, making a mess of your own life, but now light has come and revealed the truth. And he waits until the day of Jesus, when Jesus returns, that morning star of our hope. Jesus, the king who comes again. And, and Peter's making the argument that, that, that you, can trust, you can trust this word on, on the witness of the apostles, on the authority of the Old Testament, because, look at verses 20 and 21, it is God speaking. Now, now you, you may have wondered, like I did, why does Peter pick the event of the transfiguration as the thing to say, hey, I was there, I saw it. And there are kind of some cooler things that he saw, some big miracles, dead men coming back to life, the resurrection of Jesus itself. But he, but he doesn't point to that. He, he points to, to the transfiguration. Why? Because, one, it's giving us a picture of what is still yet to come. The transfiguration was a glimpse of the coming glory of Jesus, and that's part of the argument that, we'll see, that you would see if you read all the way through Second Peter. He's, he's talking to them about Jesus' return, this morning star, the coming of the morning star. But also, in the transfiguration, you have an event that takes place that he witnesses, and you have a voice the voice of God speaking from heaven. And so Peter says, that's what you already have in your Old Testament. In your scriptures, you have the words describing the event, which is the voice of God. These are the same things when, when we as apostles preach to you the gospel. It's the same thing we have in the Old Testament. It is the word of God. Because look at the argument Peter makes in verses 20 and 21. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. This isn't the prophet sitting down and figuring out, you know, what would we like to write about today? This isn't their, their journals that we just happen to stumble upon. No, this is the authoritative, declared Word of God. Look at verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter's argument is that he's not trying to explain how did this take place. Were they sitting in a room with their, with their writing implement and they heard God speak like Peter heard audibly God speak on the mountain? No, he's, he's not concerned about telling us how it happened, how inspiration, the, the scriptures are inspired. He's telling us that it happened. He's pointing us to the origin of scripture. The Old Testament scriptures, the, the New Testament scriptures, because Peter himself knows about the writings of the Apostle Paul. He'll tell us about them and, and even warn us. Sometimes Paul can be hard to understand. That's in chapter 3. He'll warn us about that. He's saying, whenever you hear the word authoritatively proclaimed by the, the prophets and the apostles, it is God who speaks. And you see, he... he he tells us that it's the, the ministry of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the one who is at work in the apostles. That's why it has authority. See, because when, you, when you're looking for a bedrock principle, you have to, to keep clearing away the, the layers of, well, could I trust my own reason? Can I play Thomas Jefferson and cut out the parts I don't like? Well, you certainly can, but do you really trust yourself to be able to make those kinds of decisions about the origins of the universe, about the deep, dark mysteries of the world, about the, the unseen spiritual realm of life? 
Do you feel like you have enough personal knowledge to do that, or, or do you need a more certain foundation? It's because when you begin to clear away the debris, even of our own reason, even of the way that, that we would if we were going to write this down, if we were going to make this up, if we were going to concoct a religion, if we were going to build it ourselves, this isn't what we would have come up with. But this is what's revealed to us from God. God himself is the bedrock foundation because this word is God's word spoken to us, and that's why it has authority. That's why God himself can, can place demands on us. That's why Peter can tell us, you need to listen. You need to pay attention to this word. And it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, not only in those who wrote the scriptures, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in those of us who listen. And so you may, you may still be sitting here and say, I, I just don't know. You know, I, I actually, I want to figure it out. I want to know, could this really be God's word? Could it be from God? Well then, well, then here's the challenge. Read it. Read God's word. Don't just dismiss it saying, well, I, I, I took a class in comparative religions once, and, and so I, I know I can just dismiss it. Or I visited Monticello and Thomas Jefferson cut his apart, so I'll just do whatever I want with it. No, read it. Just start with one of the Gospels. Start with, with, with Mark or with John. Start with one of the Gospels and begin to read it. Read through the, the writings of the apostles, but do it prayerfully. Prayerfully, expecting, asking, pleading with the Holy Spirit to make the truth known to you, to shine that light into the darkness of your life. So we have the, the testimony of the eyewitnesses of the apostles. We have the authority of the, the Old Testament prophets. We have God's word speaking to us. But there's, there's another reason that this is a word we need to listen to. Because what's the message? It's, it's the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of his kingly majesty Peter is telling us. It's the story of Jesus, in verse 17, receiving honor and glory, which have come from heaven. See, this is a, a story, a, a message, a true story of hope for us. Peter is, is describing the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The Lord, the one with all authority, Jesus, the Savior. He is the Christ, the Messiah. Earlier in the, in the chapter, if, if we went back and looked, we would see that, that he is called our Savior explicitly. He is called our Lord and Savior. He is called, in verse 1, our God and Savior. See, this is the, the message of Jesus, the King who has come to rescue his people. It's a story in which, in which we read, look back at verse 9. We read about the, the cleansing from sin that comes through the death of Jesus. See, this is a story of gospel hope. And we are given knowledge. That, that's a repeated theme in the, the, the opening verses of this chapter. Look at verse 2, where Peter extends a blessing to his, his readers, a blessing to you, having heard this read. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord through the knowledge. It's revealed to us. It is spoken to us. You know this word. It's a, verse 4 tells us, a promise, a precious, a great promise given to you. 
And so the, the question for you is, will you listen? Will you, will you really hear God's word? All of God's word. The parts that feel comfortable as you walk through life and the parts that, that confront you and expose your sin, the light shining into the dark places. Will you listen to God's word? And do you see it as the, the joy-filled message that Peter brings to us? From a, from a prison, he can speak of this great and precious promise that is yours, that is yours when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. See, this is the, the authority that comes to us from God himself proclaiming to us this message of hope, a precious message. Let's respond by faith. Know the truth. Listen to it. Believe it. Rejoice in the hope of the scriptures. James Nelson serves as a missionary pilot in Papua New Guinea. He scouts out locations for landing strips, for, for runways in the remote mountains. He says, let, let me try to put this in perspective. There's precious little flat ground in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, so almost every runway needs to be cut into the side of a mountain. Not such a daunting task with explosives and heavy machinery, right? But imagine having only shovels and woven leaves between poles to carry dirt and attempting to make a flat section of ground that's at least 100 feet wide and 1,500 feet long. He says, Tatmang is that kind of area. For 15 years, the Yapno people have carved into the mountainside by hand a runway so that missionaries could come to bring the word of God. James tells us, he says, they call the runway Gentamo. It means place of the word. Fifteen years to move a mountain, to carve a path for the word of God, to carve a place in their lives for God's word. The word reveals the glory, the majesty of Jesus the King. The scriptures offer the hope of salvation. The Bible comes with the authority of God himself. Will you give God's word access to your life? Will you carve a place for the glory and grace offered to you in Jesus? Let me pray. As we come to this table, having heard the word of God, we come to receive grace in this sacrament. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we rejoice in the hope of Jesus, the hope that is offered to us today in your word, your word which comes to us with authority because you are the one who speaks to us. Father in heaven, we ask that you would, you would comfort those that, that come with, with the burdens of life upon them, Lord, that you would offer hope and peace to each one of us. That having heard your word, we might respond by faith, trusting in the grace that is poured out for us, the cleansing that comes through the blood of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, make us a people who are willing with boldness to respond to your word spoken. Father, we come by faith. 
in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King. Amen.